Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. The Volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio. So use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Call 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend Today we have a show later in the day where we're going to be going over some games from the weekend. But in this video, we're hitting on the first trade of the NBA season. Los Angeles Lakers acquiring Rui Hachimura from the Washington Wizards for Kendrick Nunn in three second round picks. The trade that Lakers fans have been begging for for two years now. The big athletic forward to recoup the size and athleticism the Lakers lost 
in the Russell Westbrook trade. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. Then last but not least, if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. So as I've consistently said over the course of the last couple of years, I don't blame Russell Westbrook for the predicament that the Lakers are in. I blame the Russell Westbrook trade. In LeBron's never-ending pursuit for a real playmaker that he can play alongside, he pushed for Russell Westbrook. And the Lakers front office, Rob Palinka, wasn't smart enough to see through the idea that Russ and the terrible off-ball fit and the uh, defensive shortcomings and the chasing rebounds at the expense of leaving spot-up shooters open and the poor decision-making and the issues in crunch time and all those different things. Rob didn't see any of that. And so he acquiesced to LeBron's demand. And in order to match salaries, they had to send out Kyle Kuzma, a big athletic forward, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, one of the better role player two guards in the league, who's having a great season with the Denver Nuggets this year, and they took back more salary than they sent out in that deal, and in the ensuing crunch, they had to let go of Alex Caruso. At least they didn't have to, but it was part of the reason why they decided to let Alex Caruso go, a six foot six great defensive guard. So they lost a ton of perimeter size in that trade. And the that loss of that size, coupled with the clunkiness of the rust fit, is why the Lakers have had such a disastrous two years. Because in the 2021 season, even though LeBron got hurt, even though Anthony Davis got hurt, they still were a very good team because they had the core, the role players from that 2020 championship squad. One of the most underrated things about the 2020 Lakers is, yes, LeBron James and Anthony Davis were both top five players in the world during basically that entire season, but they were also huge at every single perimeter position, and all of that perimeter size was what anchored around LeBron James and Anthony Davis, one of the best defenses that I've ever seen, the defense of the 2020 Lakers. So ever since then, Laker fans, myself as someone who covered the Lakers during that first season with Russell Westbrook before I started with the volume and all of the people that I became friends with when I was covering the Lakers, everyone was consistent. Like they need a forward. They need somebody that's between 6'6 and 6'9". That's a good athlete. That's at least capable of doing some things offensively that at least gives the Lakers a chance to hold up in some of the physical confrontations that take place on the basketball court. Way too frequently, it was LeBron and Anthony Davis and then a bunch of short guys. And those short guys were all fighting for their lives against taller, more athletic players. So the Rui Hachimura trade directly addresses that specific need. What I want to do today is I want to look at this trade from three angles. I want to look at Rui on the offensive end of the floor, Rui on the defensive end of the floor, and his specific fit with the Lakers. I spent a ton of time this morning watching film on Rui to familiarize myself with his game even more than I have over the years, so I'm excited to share all that with you guys. So starting on the offensive end, and we have to start with spot-up situations because this is, you know, looking at Rui off the ball is the more important element to this because realistically, even if he's in a closing group, that closing group's probably going to be Dennis Schroeder at the point guard, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. Those three guys are going to be doing the the lion's share of the offensive creation. So it's more important to look at what Rui does off the ball. Now, the biggest concern I have with Rui in his specific fit with the Lakers is he is not a good spot-up player right now. 
Um, this season, he's averaging 0.92 points per spot-up possession. There are 163 players in the league that have logged at least 100 spot-up possessions, and Rui ranks 140th out of 163. Now, it is a lot of it is his perimeter shots not falling, uh, particularly from the three-point line, the way it did last year. Last year, he averaged 1.01 points per possession in spot-up situations, much more closer to average as opposed to the below-average rate that he's hitting this year. And it really comes down to that perimeter shot. He's shooting just 31% this year on spot-up jumpers. There's a little bit of a hitch in his shot, which disrupts the energy transfer. When we talk about fluidity and energy transfer in a jump shot, there needs to be a very smooth transition of power from your dip in your legs through your gather when you're bringing the ball either from the dribble or from the catch to the shooting pocket flowing all the way through the snap of the wrist. And if there's any sort of break in that, then you have to reset your power level when you're at the top of the shot. And so you see a lot of times with Rui, Laker fans, you'll, you'll notice this when he's playing with the Lakers this year. You'll notice a lot of spot-up threes if he doesn't have a ton of space. You'll notice that hitch becomes a problem to where he doesn't get enough lift on the shot, and then the shot ends up bad, badly missing short, usually off the front of the rim or skittering off the side of the rim. So... That's the, the the biggest area that's hurting him in spot-up situations right now. A little bit of a hitch in his shot. Ironically, in transition situations, he's actually shooting a lot better. And I think a big part of that is just when he's sprinting up the floor on the left wing or on the right wing and he catches and elevates, that forward momentum is helping him get the ball to the rim. So hopefully, over the years, you know, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the Lakers plan on extending him. Hopefully... Uh, Phil Handy can work with him on that and kind of help him with his fluidity, so that's less of a problem. But him only hitting 31% of his spot-up jumpers this year is a huge problem, specifically in his spot-up situations. And then he's also struggling a little bit to finish at the rim in traffic. So when he's attacked a closeout this year and tried to finish at the rim, Rui's just 11 for 26 at the rim, which is obviously not good. Um, in general, he's a little bit slow with the basketball in his hands. So like he pump fakes on a lot of his spot up possessions. And instead of making a quick decision, like just ripping through to the right or ripping through the left, he'll pump fake and then put the ball on the floor and then try to like mix up off the dribble. Now, to be clear, he's shooting really well on his dribble jump shots in the mid-range. He's got a very good one dribble pull-up or two dribble pull-up, especially going to his left. And so because of that, he's actually pumped up his spot-up numbers above where you would think. If you were shooting 11 for 26 at the rim and literally 31% on spot-up ju jumpers, you'd think he's, you know going to be atrocious in spot-up situations, but he's 11 for four, or excuse me, 18 for 40 on pull-up jump shots in the mid-range out of spot-up situations this year. So since he's around 50% there, that's kind of pumping up those numbers there. So specifically in spot-up situations, it's going to be a little bit clunky. Um, but glass half full, the Lakers are already weak in spot-up shooting as it is. So I don't think it's necessarily going to hurt them there. And that one dribble pull-up stuff, that's high-level closeout attacking, which specifically in the playoffs when teams really shut off the rim in rotation and take away the easy threes, having a guy that can put the ball on the floor and knock down a 15-foot jump shot will help the Lakers rescue some possessions. So I think even though he's not quite as good spotting up and getting to the rim, he's a little bit better in the mid-range and creating for himself off the dribble. So I think it kind of adds out to being kind of a wash offensively compared to some of the other options 
that the Lakers have in the rotation. And one other note, his spot-up opportunities in LA are going to be better than they were in Washington. Um, with the way teams guard LeBron and Russ and AD, it's borderline comical. The way that they pack the paint, dig down from driving lanes, he's going to get those wide-open shots that allow his hitch that he has in his jumper to be less of a problem. So I actually think he'll have a better spot-up season in LA. Again, we're at 0.92 points per possession. It'll be interesting to see how that ticks up with the Lakers. He is a very good cutter. There are two different kinds of wings in the NBA, in my opinion. There's like the skinny, rangy, perimeter-oriented wing. Think like Jaden McDaniels from the Minnesota Timberwolves. But then there's like the stronger, bigger, you know, wing that can hang in some of the interior battles. Think like Aaron Gordon from the Denver Nuggets. To me, that's kind of what Rui Hachimura is. The skinny guys are usually more skilled, but they struggle in some of the physical areas of the game. The bigger guys are usually less skilled, but they can do all, you know, they can even play a little small ball center for you if you need. They have a lot more versatility in terms of the the physical areas of the game. And that's kind of what Rui is. Um, one of the big ways you'll see that offensively is as a cutter, because in order to cut to the rim and finish effectively, it's hard to finish around the trees and you are getting bumped, you know, cause teams uh, train you to chuck, chuck cutters as they're running around the lane, like hit them with the forearm real quick or something like that. So having a dude like Rui, who's literally massive six foot eight with a seven, two wingspan and 230 pounds, he can cut into the lane and take that contact and finish it around the rim really quickly. And then he also has that really nice catch-and-shoot 15-footer. And so he's getting about a bucket every single game, just flashing to the high post for quick pull-up jump shots or flashing to the charge circle for quick little finishes in the lane. That's going to be very valuable with the Lakers because of their post-up heavy offense, especially when Anthony Davis gets back. LeBron in the post, Anthony Davis in the post. Teams are zoning up over on the strong side of the floor. Having a guy who can have success as a cutter is very important. Rui this year, 1.52 points per possession when he cuts among 157 players who have registered at least 25 cut possessions this year, Rui is 21st out of 157. So he's been a very good cutter this year. Um, He's also very good in transition. Like we mentioned earlier, he's shooting his three ball much better in transition, especially when he runs the left and right wings. Not great when he has the ball in his hands. He's not a great ball handler, not a great decision maker. So his transition possessions when he pushes by himself have not been pretty, but he shouldn't have to do that much with the Lakers. When he just runs to the front of the rim or runs to the wings, he's hitting shots and he's finishing. So with the Lakers and how fast they like to to play and how they hunt those transition opportunities, I think he's going to help a lot there. So with what he brings in transition, with what he brings as a cutter and what he brings with his ability to rescue possessions, I think it's going to be an aggregate slight upgrade offensively compared to what some of their other options are. Uh, In terms of self-creation, which won't really matter because he's a role player on the Lakers, but he's bad in pick and roll, 0.87 points per possession. Again, not a great decision maker or or ball handler. Pretty solid in ISO, 27 points on 24 possessions and okay in the post, 46 points on 47 possessions. Again, a lot of like dribble in your left hand, hard dribble to his left, hit with your right shoulder, push off, step back, knock down that 15 to 17 footer. That's kind of his go-to move there. And he does make that at a high clip. And again, that'll help the Lakers rescue some possessions. Um, Again, so kind of tying off offensively, not a ton to get excited about with Rui, but I do think it's a slight upgrade over some of the other options in the aggregate. And really what we're about to get to is what matters because the areas to get most excited about with Rui are what he's going to help with the Lakers in rebounding situations and on the defensive end of the floor. Now, he's a career just seven rebounds per 36 minutes, which is not great, but 
I look at it more from a slotting perspective. He's not he's not going to dominate games as a rebounder the way some of the other really athletic wings in the league are, like a Jared Vanderbilt, for instance, right, or an Aaron Gordon. But he will slot everybody in matchups that make more sense. And I'll give you an example. Let's say that the Lakers are playing against the Warriors and Anthony Davis is back and he's healthy. Or we'll even look at it from the standpoint if LeBron's playing center. If AD's battling with Kevon Looney and LeBron James is battling with Draymond Green, the Lakers get into these awkward positions where it's like, okay, we got to do something with Andrew Wiggins. Well, how about we put Lonnie Walker on him because he's a freak athlete and maybe he'll be able to jump with Andrew Wiggins, but they'll end up losing that matchup anyway because Lonnie will have to play impossibly hard just to even try to keep it close to a wash, and physically he's just overmatched in that matchup. And so down the roster, you know, those one, two, three positions on the floor, every single person is punching above their weight in terms of physical matchups. And so when you put a guy like Rui out there, If he can battle with Draymond or battle with Wiggins and LeBron takes the other guy, now all of a sudden you take Lonnie Walker and it's like, hey, you know, now you're guarding Clay or you're guarding Jordan Poole. And now Lonnie's athleticism is a differentiator. Now, instead of Lonnie needing his athleticism just to compete with a bigger athlete, now it's the differentiator between him and the smaller guard that he's going against. That slot, we talk a ton about slotting on this show, but it, like in terms of versatility on both offense and on the offensive end and the defensive end of the floor, the Lakers' lack of a real forward has put them in janky positions nonstop over the last couple of years. And so having Rui should help them considerably in rebounding situations. And he is like again, seven two wingspan, six foot eight. He will help them grabbing the occasional contested rebound as well. Then you can even imagine LeBron at center lineups or, you know, uh, if uh, if they're playing with Wenyan Gabriel at center with LeBron, like having a guy like Rui out there, again, just makes the matchups make more sense. And then on the defensive end of the floor, Rui is unlike any defender the Lakers have had since LeBron and Anthony Davis came uh, to the Lakers. I mean, like when AD came, Brandon Ingram went out. You know, uh, so they, they lost that longer athlete to have alongside LeBron on the wing. Kyle Kuzma, you know, made strides as a help defender with the Lakers. And in certain matchups, he could have some success on the ball. But I think Rui, like if I was ranking the three, Kyle Kuzma and Boyan Bogdanovich, the other wing that I wanted the Lakers to target, and Rui Hachimura, Rui is the best defender out of that group by far. In my opinion, it's been one of the things that I've actually had an eye on with Rui over the years. Some of you guys who have been following me for a while remember me during this preseason doing a little video on Rui causing problems uh, on the defensive end of the floor. He always did a really good job guarding LeBron when I was covering the Lakers in the past and I'd watch him go up against LeBron. He's just huge, six foot eight, seven foot two, wingspan, 230 pounds plays physical. He does a lot of reaching and three-quarter fronting on uh, high post entries and stuff like that. Does causes a lot of disruption just with his long arms. He doesn't have the quickest feet in the world, so you're not going to see him like keep a really quick guard in front. But the Lakers should never need him to do that unless they get into rotation too often, which is a problem for any team in the league because of the type of guards that they have. They're going to have guards to handle the quicker guards around the league with guys like Dennis Schroeder and who knows who they end up keeping if they end up making another trade. But they've got ball pressure guards. What they needed was somebody that can guard the bigger forwards around the league. And that's what Rui's going to do for them really well. And then if you put him next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis especially alongside ball pressure guards like Dennis Schroeder or Patrick Beverly, it's going to give the Lakers a daunting defensive presence 
the length of the arms just in those first three guys, Anthony Davis and Rui, both over seven-foot wingspans. I think LeBron has over a seven-foot wingspan too. That's three seven-foot wingspans on the front line. That's going to cause teams a lot of problems. So in as we zoom out a little bit in summation, I love this trade for the Lakers. It's not enough. They need to do more, but it's a great first step. First of all, it's really inexpensive. Kendrick Nunn had been playing better, but when Lonnie Walker and Austin Reeves are back in the rotation – Kendrick Nunn's going to be out of the rotation anyway. Um, they didn't have to use a first-round pick. They had to use three second-round picks, but they had seven to spend. So they still have their second, their first-round picks either for after this season or if they want to make a different deal at the deadline. It addressed a very specific need, perimeter size and athleticism. That will help the Lakers in a lot of defense and rebounding situations overnight. And then last but not least, it gives the Lakers real matchup versatility. And when I talk about the playoffs in the NBA, having real versatility with the styles that you can play helps you in those chess matches. When you play AD at the five now, you have the same level of physical, uh, you can be physically imposing on other teams just like you did in 2020. These last two years when LeBron James and Anthony Davis were out there, it just wasn't enough because it was always with three guards. Now you can recapture that 2020 Lakers, 2021 Lakers. I've got LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and a real forward next to them that give them that physical uh, element that they were missing. You also, in the playoffs, if teams are tacking Thomas Bryant or if Wenyan Gabriel's too skinny you if you if and you need to play LeBron at center, it gives you a real forward to put next to LeBron to give those lineups a better fighting chance. And last but not least, he's your primary defender for the star wings around the league. Just no question, end of story. If you're playing Kawhi, if you're playing Paul George, if you're playing Brandon Ingram, if you're playing Luka Doncic in a playoff series, Rui's getting that assignment. And if, or God forbid, they get to the finals, they're going to have to deal with Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, or Giannis, Rui is getting that assignment. It just doesn't make sense to use LeBron James or Anthony Davis in that type of role, even though they can, because that you need their energy on the offensive end. You need Anthony Davis hanging around the rim. So it just, it just, makes everything make so much more sense with the Lakers from a game plan standpoint. It's a great first step in the right direction. So I want to give a tip of the cap to Rob Palinka. I hate that it required them digging this hole, this 22 and 25 hole. I hate that it took almost two years for Rob Palinka to address arguably the most important position in the NBA, but better late than never. And right now I can actually realistically look at the Lakers and say they're one move away from taking that next step to real title contention. They need a professional jump shooter now. Someone who can run second side actions with a more perimeter focus, unlike the Dennis Schroeder, you know, Russell Westbrook thing where everything is still downhill, just like LeBron James does it. I think Boyan Bogdanovich is the guy they got to look at. If they get Boyan Bogdanovich, that gives you that real second side creation with a perimeter focus, real spot up shooting, continues to help with your perimeter size issues. Another option, I wouldn't like Buddy Heald in a vacuum, but because they got Rui Hachimura to address those size issues, Buddy Heald makes a little bit more sense. And you can imagine lineups with Dennis Schroeder, Buddy Heald, Rui Hachimura, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, that would have enough shooting to make things happen on the offensive end of the floor. So they need to make one more move. But if they do, if they get a real professional jump shooter, Alongside this existing group, I would vault the Lakers into the conversation with Denver, Golden State, and Memphis as the real contenders out West. Right now, I just think it's those three, but I think the Lakers have a real chance to enter into that conversation if they make one more trade. And for the people who think that's crazy, again, I will remind you, the Lakers have the eighth best record in all of basketball since their 2-10 start. 
despite LeBron James and Anthony Davis, uh, despite LeBron James and Anthony Davis missing significant chunks of games, and despite the Lakers having serious issues closing games because of personnel shortcomings, LeBron James is playing like an MVP. Anthony Davis was playing like an MVP before his injury. I would I would urge you not to take the Lakers for granted. They still have work to do. They need to make a trade. They need to stay healthy. They have a lot more question marks than the teams above them, but they have the requisite pieces if things go right to contend for a title in a real serious way. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design icon West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of the two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash H-O-O-P-S. Tip off the new year with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. New customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained. My favorite bet for this week is Tuesday night, the LA Clippers in crypto against the Lakers minus four. The Lakers are going to probably be integrating Rui Hachimura in that game, and it's going to dramatically shift the Lakers rotation around, which I think is going to make it a very weird game, and a lot of guys are going to be out of rhythm. So I like the Clippers in that game. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in bonus bets, win or lose, with promo code Jason T. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 
All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. Again, for those of you who watched the Rui Hachimura to the Lakers trade breakdown that we did earlier today, if you have not seen that yet, you can find that on our YouTube feed. Today, we're breaking down three games, and I've got two quick hitters for you. So, the Los Angeles Clippers went into Dallas and beat the Mavericks with a really impressive fourth quarter. Going to dive into that game a little bit. Then the Golden State Warriors blew a 13-point fourth quarter lead to the Brooklyn Nets. Another masterpiece performance from Kyrie Irving. Going to spend some time on Kyrie and Nick Claxton today. And then lastly, the Lakers went into Portland, fell down 25 at the half, and came back to win convincingly. Good time to be a Lakers fan. They just made that trade for Rui Hachimura, like we mentioned earlier. Good times. Anthony Davis coming back next week as well. Starting to see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel there. My quick hitters for today, I have some thoughts on the NBA's luxury tax and how I believe it is unfair and punishes successful teams. And then the Philadelphia 76ers won five consecutive road games. Gonna, uh, They're doing a good job of making me look right with one of my big New Year's predictions. So uh, a lot of basketball to get into today. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And then last but not least, if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. So Clippers Mavs. Back and forth game, but the Clippers completely dominated the fourth quarter. Paul George got him going early in the fourth by hunting transition opportunities, getting to the foul line. Kawhi Leonard was unbelievable in this game. Got to the rim a couple of times um, in the fourth quarter, but for the most part was starting the rotation, um, getting the Mavericks in rotation by just posting up on that right block, getting the basketball, drawing that double team, and making the easy read out of it so that guys could capitalize on that. A big guy capitalized on, on that was Norman Powell, who continues to just be awesome. He had 19 points on 12 shots in this game. Norman's averaging 21 points per game over his last nine games on 52% from the field, 53% from three, and 78% from the line. It's really this simple. He can shoot the shit out of the basketball, and he has a super quick first step and the vertical athleticism to finish in traffic at the rim. He shoots 61% on four attempts in the restricted area every game. For a guard, anything over 60% is excellent. Most of the guards in the league are hovering in the mid-50s. Um, and then out of 68 players who have logged at least 150 spot-up possessions this year, Norman Powell ranks 16th out of 68 at 1.17 point per possession. Absolutely must have guys like that in a driving kick system because Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to create that initial advantage, but you need guys to continue to keep the defense in rotation until you get a great shot. And they've got three guys in particular that are really excelling this year. Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, and Norman Powell, who's actually above all of them. But all three of those guys are up over 1.1 points per possession in spot-up situations. A little bit, a little, you know, uh, a glass half full way to look at the Clippers offense this season. Uh, Kawhi Leonard is starting to look very much like Kawhi Leonard. In his last 14 games, he's averaging 25, 6, and 4. 53% from the field, 45% from three, 89% from the line. In his last seven games, 37 and 4. 54% from the field, 53% from three, and 94% from the line. It looks every bit like the old Kawhi, except for like, you know, that just otherworldly contact in traffic wild dunk like the ones that he had against the Jazz before he got hurt a couple years ago. We, we we haven't seen that quite yet, but he does have everything else 
going. He's shooting 47% on pull-up jump shots this year. He's shooting 55% inside of 17 feet on jump shots, 44% on long twos between 17 feet and the three-point line. And in the last couple of months, he's starting to hit his three-point shot as well. I know things don't look great for the Clips. They've lost nine of their last 13, although they have won two in a row. And they're only seven and seven in Kawhi's last 14 games. But I continue to think that this mostly has to do with the lack of continuity and rhythm as guys have been in and out of the lineup. I think there's a really good chance that the Clippers lock in and finish the season on a high note and have some juice left in the uh, in the tank to make a playoff run. I'm not ready to give up on them yet. And then moving over to the Mavs, it was a rough night for Luka. He was getting to his spots frequently against the Clippers in these switches, particularly in the mid to short range, but he was missing the shots. You know, and and like he was he was scoring at the rim. He was yeah, I think he was three for seven on his step back threes, but just three for eleven on jump shots between the restricted area and the three-point line. That particular shot is so important for him against the Clippers with the way that they defend him, trying to force him to take those step-back twos in the mid-range. He just has to make those shots. The Mavs are 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games, but I do think now that Dorian Finney-Smith is back and now that Josh Green is back, once those guys get back into a rhythm, the defensive end will click up for the Mavs and things should take off from there. I do expect them to settle down once they get healthy, especially when Maxi Kleba comes back, although I think he's still a month or two away. All right, time for our first quick hitter. So Ben Thompson, you guys might know him from Stratechery. He's also a huge Bucks fan. You may have heard him on the Bill Simmons podcast a few times. I met him in Vegas when I went out to Summer League last year. Really nice guy. He tweeted something uh, yesterday that I thought was really interesting. He said, quote, the NBA luxury tax allows mediocre teams to turn a profit every year, or turn a profit year after year. Meanwhile, it punishes successful teams, and it's insane to have an incentive to not win be at the core of this league. I 100% agree. For the record, why does the luxury tax exist? It's designed to stop, you know, a Joe Lacob type, or really anybody, from having like a four or $500 million payroll. That's what it's designed for. But... In the process of trying to dissuade, you know, this really strange situation that will almost never happen, all they've done is punish a bunch of other teams that were never even close to having that type of payroll to begin with. The salary cap rules in and of themselves prevent teams from loading up on talent. Like, guess what? The Warriors can't just throw a max contract at James Harden this summer if he decides to opt out and become a free agent. He doesn't, like, they can't do that. The salary cap prevents them from doing that. If you look at their roster and you look at Steph Curry, who they drafted, Draymond Green, who they drafted, Klay Thompson, who they drafted, Jordan Poole, who they drafted, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, all these guys, when it comes down to paying all of them, they're going to get squeezed. And yes, Andrew Wiggins is a fallback from a, or a return from the D'Lo trade, which was a return from the Kevin Durant trade. But Kevin Durant signed into cap space. When the Warriors signed KD, they had cap space. Then they flipped that asset for an asset that they then flipped into Andrew Wiggins. The Golden State Warriors are not New York Yankees. They're not pulling a New York Yankees and just buying a basketball team. That's not happening. They're not just writing checks and bringing in superstars. They are drafting good players. And then when they lose a player in free agency, they do the smart thing, which is trade him for something in return so that you have access to money above the cap. The salary cap 
does not allow you to sign players over the cap unless you use an exception. And the exceptions are veteran minimum contracts. The mid-level exception, which isn't going to get you that good of a player to begin with. Or bird rights. Things associated with players that you have under your control. You can go over the cap when you have players that are under your control. And I hate that in this system, if you draft well, you get squeezed. And I don't think that that's fair. And, I, and like, I'm really curious to see which exciting young core that we have around the league that's going to end up getting punished by this. Like, are the Grizzlies going to be able to sign Desmond Bain to his rookie extension without having to ship off someone else to avoid luxury tax? Are they going to lose Brandon Clark? Or Steven Adams or something like that? Or uh, look at New Orleans. What about when Herb Jones and Herb Jones and Trey Murphy get to the point where they need to be extended? Are those guys going to get squeezed? Or is somebody else on the roster going to get squeezed for them? Just because those teams drafted well, you know, like David Griffin goes out and gets two really good wings and Herb Jones and Trey Murphy, and it's going to put him in a bind. That's not fair. What about the Oklahoma City Thunder? You know, when, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander's getting paid and Lou Dort's getting paid and Chet Holmgren's getting paid. Like who, okay, Jalen Williams, it's your turn. Are we going to pay you? If we do, we have to pay this damn luxury tax. It's not fair. I don't. I, I understand the original reason why it was conceived, but it has backfired in the sense that all it's really done is punish competence. And I understand the pursuit of parity, but punishing competence is not the way to accomplish that. All right, moving on to the Warriors. So they blew a 13-point fourth-quarter lead to lose to the Nets 120-116. to 116. Kyrie was magnificent again, uh, 38 points on 22 shots, nine assists with just one turnover, countless big plays. Since KD went down, Kyrie is averaging 12.4 points per game in fourth quarters during this five-game stretch. And really, it's this simple. He's making pull-up jump shots over the top of the defense, and he's making kick-out passes to good shooters. What have I always said about half-court situations when teams really slow the game down, trap you in the half-court, they load up on one side, you have to beat them either by shooting over the top or by kicking to shooters who can make you pay. And Kyrie's always been one of the best guys in the league to do that. Now, a lot of people are negative about Kyrie as it pertains to him being a number one. And for the record, I don't think Kyrie Irving as a number one is going to get you to any sort of you know, uh, great heights or a championship, but... He's a damn good number two, and he's doing a really nice job of filling in for a number one over the last couple of weeks. I understand all the baggage that comes with him, but there's a reason why when the Lakers were in discussions to get Kyrie this summer that I said it was worth it. There's a reason why I thought that there'd be some team out there like the Miami Heat or somebody who would make a move for Kyrie Irving, even when everyone said it's not worth it. It's because his elite top-end talent still represents a skill set that very few players in this league can do. And he's reminding everybody of that over the course of this last couple of weeks. Nick Claxton, last three games, 21 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, 3.3 blocks per game, including the Nets being plus 59 in his shifts in three games. That's basically, they went two and one, and it's basically been like three blowouts in Nick Claxton's minutes. Um, he's running the floor super well. He's been hunting transition opportunities. He has 17 points in transition over the last two games. He's your prototypical modern center. He defends the hell out of the rim. He can hold his own on switches. He runs the floor super well. And he provides enough offensively as a vertical spacer and as an offensive rebounder and running the rim in transition that he's a huge positive. And he's going to end up signing a huge extension next season if things stay this way. 
moving on to the Warriors a little bit, Steph and Andrew Wiggins were both really bad again. They combined to go 9 for 25 from the field. They're both clearly still out of rhythm. And that's why I'm still not out on the Warriors. It really is this simple. What do they look like when they're at their best? It's Steph playing like an MVP, which he hasn't been as of late. Andrew Wiggins is the second best player on the team. You know, creates his own shot every once in a while. Attacks closeouts well. He usually ends around 18, 19 points per game. They're not getting that from him right now. They're lights out defensively when they're at their best. And they stagger their bench with their starters to help the young guys. They've done all four of those things at various points in the season. Before Steph got hurt, he was playing like an MVP. Before Andrew Wiggins got hurt, he was playing some of the best basketball of his career. They've demonstrated that they can defend at a high level, even without Andrew Wiggins. They did that during the stretch that Steph was injured. They rebuilt that urgency that was lacking earlier in the season. But now you're having to plug Steph and Andrew Wiggins back in, and both of them aren't in game shape and aren't in rhythm. What did I tell you guys earlier in the season when LeBron was struggling and he kept getting hurt? I said, because he had like a groin tweak, he had some other things. I was like, he needs like 15 games. And once he gets to 15 games, like you'll see things click for him. And what happened? He stayed healthy long enough to get into a rhythm. Things clicked. Now LeBron looks like an MVP again. That's what I'm waiting on for Steph. Now, if we get to the point where Steph is playing like an MVP and Andrew Wiggins is playing the way that we're accustomed to and Draymond's doing what he's doing and all these guys are playing and they're still losing, then I'll start to be seriously concerned. But, like, I know it's frustrating, especially for Warriors fans, because you're like, man, we are over halfway through the season, and we are still having these types of heartbreaking, gut-wrenching losses. I get it. But the reasons this time around is your best player, who's become one of the most reliable players in the NBA over the last few years, is not playing well. Because he just came back from injury. And no, I don't think he lost a step. He literally had a shoulder injury. It's just you can't replicate basketball shape. It takes time to get back into basketball shape. Steph's working through it. Andrew's working through it. If they get, if we get to a point five, 10 games from now where Steph is putting up 35 a night and they're still losing, then we can have another conversation about the Warriors, but I'm just not there yet. I do, of course, I still think they need to make a trade at the deadline, but I feel that way about most of the teams in the league because it's too even at the top. Someone needs to separate themselves. Um, all right, let's move on to our second quick hitter, the Philadelphia 76ers, who went 5-0 and on their West Coast road trip. Come on, Dallas. Come up here. Come on up. Say hi. He's been bothering me during the entire show. This is my puppy, Dallas, one of my Aussies. We have three dogs. Um, he's the sweet, super obedient one. Um, getting a little old, though. Makes you sad. If you ever have a dog, when they start to get old, it gets a little sad. All right, you got to get down now, okay? <laughs> All right, so they beat some good teams on this road trip. They uh, beat the Clippers, they beat the Lakers, they beat the Kings, they beat the Jazz. These are not easy games, especially on the road. Winning in Utah, not easy. Winning in Sacramento, not easy. That Lakers team has been really good for a while, and they gave them a tough fight that night. Um, the Clippers, obviously, not easy. Uh, they're just healthy and rolling, which is what I expected coming into the new year. If you guys remember my New Year's predictions, one of my big ones was... The Sixers are going to get healthy, and they're going to start ripping off wins. And if there was a time for them to drop some games, it'd be on this West Coast road trip, and they simply have not done so. Joel Embiid has been amazing, 35 points per game on 54% from the field and 44% from three during the road trip. Tyrese Maxey, 20, 21 points per game. You know, the Sixers are, again, the big question marks. It's kind of like with the Celtics, where I need to see it to believe it in the late round of the playoffs, but like... Everything with the Sixers, it's like, is Joel Embiid and, and James Harden going to play 
like they do during the regular season when they get to the postseason. And those are legitimate question marks. And we may never get to see that until we get to the postseason. But in terms of talent and what this team is capable of in the half court on both ends of the floor, that they look like a bona fide championship contender. It's really just those playoff question marks that we have. All right, before we get out of here, the Lakers and the Blazers. I had a feeling the Lakers would win this game. Portland's been really bad uh, for a while now. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Portland has an awful defensive backcourt and a center that can't protect the rim, which is just a recipe for disaster against a rim-pressuring team like the Lakers who have guards that can beat people off the dribble. Uh, LeBron has always had his way with Jeremy Grant. That's a matchup he's always played well in. Uh, and then Nurkic is quickly becoming one of the worst defensive players in the league right now. Uh, that's a whole other problem. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Portland was still up 25 at the half. Uh, Patrick Beverly was talking a bunch of shit to Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard was going off. Uh, but then the Lakers just methodically worked their way back, getting stops and hunting those transition opportunities like we talk about that are so important. I just want to talk about LeBron for a minute because he in particular has been hunting transition opportunities at an absurd rate in the last month. I wanted to give you guys some um, numbers to demonstrate that. But he's like trying to avoid that static half-court environment as much as possible because when LeBron gets in the half-court, because of the limited spot-up shooting talent that the Lakers have, they are really loading up the paint on him. And it's just hard for him to find quality shots in the half-court. So the more he hunts those transition opportunities, the more he can avoid the multiple help defenders. Um, in his last 10 games, LeBron is averaging 11.4 points per game just in transition. And he's actually, I know this is going to sound crazy to you guys, but he's actually starting to build a fringe MVP case. Now he has no chance to win the award. The Lakers are too far back in the standings and LeBron's missed a handful too many games. But I do think he'll get some votes and I wouldn't be surprised if LeBron finished seventh or eighth in MVP voting. And a big part of that is once again, last night, the Lakers were plus 17 with him and minus eight without him. That's been a recurring theme all season, or at least in this last chunk of the season. Since returning from the groin injury, LeBron is averaging 32 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 61% true shooting, despite the fact that he's incapable of getting his 3-point shot going. And they're plus 162 when LeBron is on the floor, minus 145 when he's off the floor. They are 11-9 since AD went down in the Nuggets game. That, that type of production with that type of on-off value, with that type of supporting cast, that's MVP stuff. I don't know. I don't have any other way to put it. And when you combine that with the Lakers finally making a trade to address their perimeter size, again, if you want to hear about Rui Hachimura, go to our YouTube feed earlier. We did 20 minutes just on Rui, so I'm not going to get into that right now. But they finally made a trade. You add Anthony Davis to this, who was playing like an MVP before his injury. There's a lot to get excited about. They do need to make one more trade for a professional shooter. But when they do, the Lakers will be in business. You know who's not in business? The Portland Trailblazers. They are... Uh, they've won just 11 of their last 32 games. They have the fifth worst record in the league over that span. Only the Hornets, Pistons, Spurs, and Rockets have been worse than the Blazers since November 17th. Uh, Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, and Jeremy Grant have played together for 1,532 possessions this year. That's a huge sample. And they have a net rating of plus two. So their best lineup is barely outscoring teams. Now, to be clear, I think they should blow it up. I think fundamentally... You can't have a backcourt with two guards that don't defend. It's just that simple to me. You've heard me say that about other teams around the league as well. But if you do want to try to salvage this thing, the center spot is where you got to start. You got to start with Nurkic. They need to get a real rim protector in there. Nurkic cannot move his feet, struggles to guard in space, doesn't have this the, the enough size and athleticism to really protect the rim. And that's a big part of why they're 21st in defense this year. 
there are a couple guys that I had in mind to keep an eye on. If the Wizards are trying to blow things up, and now I know he's got an ankle injury right now, but I try to target Chris Apps Porzingis. Another guy I'd be trying to call on is Miles Turner if he's not getting the extension that he wants from Indiana. But they, if if you need to try to make it work with this group, you need to do something to shore up your rim protection. In theory, I like the idea of Dame Anthony with like Gary Payton the second, with like Jeremy Grant at the four, with a guy like Miles Turner. Now, now we're talking about a team that's going to give Dame enough support to where maybe his top end talent can carry you over the top. But right now, they're just they're just not good enough in the front court to have the type of defense or defensive talent that they have in the back court with Dame and Anthony. It's something they have to address. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I appreciate your support. We will have uh, no show tomorrow. Tomorrow night, I am covering all the games, but it's not going to be on the feed until Wednesday morning. So keep an eye on the feed Wednesday morning for a breakdown of Tuesday night's games. And then I go out of town to Lake Tahoe, but we have another video coming out on Jokic in his MVP case as well. So keep an eye on the feeds for that. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I'll see you in a couple of days. The Volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.